Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Did everyone see the uh, email? Yes. Alrighty. Okay. So now speaking further about secularism, one of the points that we discussed last time is the question of what is Islam, where is Islam? And the point that I was emphasizing is don't look at it as Islam as a thing you can find. Don't look at Islam as a thing that you can hold. So where is Islam located? It is located in your mind, in your heart, in your actions. But it is not a thing like a, like a box or, or a pencil that you can point to. Meaning if you walk around, uh, you know, the, you're in the company of the Sahaba, may Allah be pleased with them. You can't point and say that's Islam. You can say their behavior is the behavior of Islam. And if you had the ability to look in their heart, you could say there is Islam in their heart, there is Iman in their heart. But you can't point to, I mean, you can't even point to the masjid and say that is Islam. Which then means what and where is secularism. And so in this paragraph, so if, if anyone's ever interested in further study about secularism, the big scholar of secularism, his name is Charles Taylor. And every once in a while, if there's a name that's useful, I'll mention him um, for our purposes. You don't need to know who Benedict Anderson is, but if you really want to get a depth of understanding of, of secularism, Charles Taylor is, is one of the biggest writers. In any case, he says that a modern nation is an imagined community because it enabled him to emphasize two features of the modern imaginary that belongs to a democratic state. These are first the horizontal direct access character of the modern society. And second, it's grounding in secular homogeneous time. And I'll explain all this, this complicated language in a second inshallah. Direct access is reflected in several developments, the rise of the public sphere, the equal right of all to participate in nationwide discussions, the extension of the market principle and the emergence of citizenship based on the principle of individualism. So this is all easier to understand if we go backwards. I think we all understand that individualism is one of the big focuses uh, of, of American society, yeah? That the, it's even though it's a collective society, there's so much focus on you as an individual. And think of that, uh, how different that was from the generation of the prophet, peace be upon him. That in the early years, 
people individually became Muslim, right? Abu Bakr comes on his own, Ali comes on his own, and then later on, you know, Abu Dhar al-Ghafari comes on his own, Omar comes on his own. But in the latter years, especially the final years, if the chief of the tribe becomes Muslim, the entire tribe becomes Muslim. And, and so then the population of the Muslims skyrockets three years until Hij three years until the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him. The population might be, give or take, about 30,000 Muslims, 50,000 Muslims. And then in the final three years, it goes to 150,000. Now all the tribes are coming in. But then, as you and I know, <clears throat> what happens after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, First, we have these false prophets, and then all these tribes are saying, okay, we're not going to pay zakat anymore. And the key point I'm emphasizing here is that that era was, the era was an era of tribes, not individualism. Even though the teaching is that everyone is going to be facing Allah Ta'ala alone, how people were entering Islam and leaving Islam in the last year of the Prophet and in the period of Abu Bakr's Khilafah, it was as tribes. And that was the psychology. And of course, we could perhaps say that part of what the Prophet was doing, peace be upon him, was transforming the tribe into an ummah, where your solidarity was with your ummah. But one of the marks of secularism is individualism. I think uh, one of the um, uh, one of the consequences of living in America. And, hey, Mustafa, hey, could I ask you to either talk louder or closer to the microphone? Yes, I think uh, one of the consequences why we have individualism in America is because we live in a multicultural society. Uh, I think that's why we have uh, the key aspect of American uh, democracy or governance is individualism focused on the individual aspects of a person. I think I think it's an interesting point. Uh, take it uh, take it further because I'm sort of missing the connection. Uh, <clears throat> go further with it. Or you can think about it and come back and so on. Yeah. Okay. So you're on mute, Justina. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about it. I'll come back to you later. Okay, inshallah. Because the other point I'm thinking is <clears throat> it started, it, it wasn't as much of a multicultural society in the, in the early 50 years, was it? Uh, no. But, uh, I mean, we can say that while the British were coming, the French were also coming. You know, the British were coming in the north and the French were coming to the south and such. But think about it further. I think, I think you're raising a possible interesting point. Okay. And so, so how is the individualism defined? <clears throat> it's by citizenship. And, and so now you're becoming an official member of, of, the, of the entire system with full autonomy in theory. And we might say that, okay, well, uh, in, in terms of the Muslim empires, you're also 
signing on as an individual. Here, uh, the emphasis is your individuality. Another emphasis now, especially of the modern secular nation state is the market. So when you're signing on as a citizen, everybody in theory is of equal status, which means everybody in theory has equal rights to buy and sell. Of course, we do have exceptions that if I was in the South, um, all the way even into the 1960s, if I was African-American and I was buying in a shop, I walk into a shop with a white owner and let's say the white owner is running, is running the cash register. Normally in that type of situation, the customer is the king and the owner is being respectful to the customer. But still in, in American history, the, the African-American owner is not allowed to look at the, or the African-American customer is not allowed to look at the, the owner of the shop, the white owner. Nevertheless, still the principle is <clears throat> that Everyone is is has the has the right to buy and sell. Everyone has the right to be part of the contract. But what else is taking place is part of secularism is that the primary function of the secular state is business. This is something much more new in history. Businesses, as we know, have been taking place since, since almost since the beginning of humanity. The prophet was a merchant. But one of the points we made some time ago <clears throat> is that um, over the past few centuries, Europe has changed the economic structure. And part of the process of setting up the nation state is you give each nation a bank. And so when you imagine any country in the world with a national bank that is part of the greater banking system, imagine every single country to be a business. So the United States is a business with a credit rating. And then within the United States, every state is a business with a credit rating. Illinois is a business. Mississippi is a business. New York is a business. And so imagine that the design of the modern nation state is not only that, that you have individual citizens who have the right to buy and sell from each other, but the design of the nation is to be a business. You and I living in our various states in America are part of the businesses of the, of the, of the state that we live in. So I live in Illinois, me working at, at a university, I am part of the business that is called Illinois. This is something most of us don't realize. So the uh -huh. governor is effectively a CEO. So how, how that compared to the Islamic state concept? I think that's 100% um, different. So that if somebody brings the Islamic state concept, then they can declare as a terrorist? Yeah, um, that was a huge leap. I don't understand this point. Explain further. I mean, what is, what is the Islamic state looks like? in the modern days, if we okay, can... There's no such thing as, as an Islamic state in the modern time. It's, it's never existed. We can have a theoretical Islamic state. But the point is, anyone who says, okay, we need to uh, uh, make a, a modern Islamic state are talking about inventing something new. 
And that would be a whole conversation. What would that look like in theory? So, right. Umar, I have, a, I have a question yeah. or other comment. And I think one of the, the, the issue that we're dealing with, uh, for example, the, the, what people call you know, the issue of modernity or anything that new comes in to the, uh, to the podium, our first reaction is that you know, it's, if it's not coming from one of us, it's from one of them and really this is wrong, you know, this kind of quote. And we see this in the history, you know, with the, uh, with the mic, with the uh, uh, printing press and, you know, so on and so forth. You know, there are so many things. So if you go back and look into the, uh, the, the doctrine or our Iman or Islam itself, which you just mentioned earlier, that Islam is not a thing, rather really it's, a, it's an idea, it's a, it's, it's a constitution, you know, which is just, just there, which is practically found in, in the Quran and, and the Sunnah, and it's not something that you can go and touch. So I would argue like uh, Iqbal once said that, you know, this notion that the Muslims have adopted, that Islam is a code of life, you know, uh, uh, or you say in loose terms, the way of life is wrong. For anything to be universal, to exist throughout ages, right? So human knowledge is evolving. So every two years, three years, when the, we have more knowledge, the, the Quran and its interpretation, things needs to be reinterpreted. Uh, you know, other sciences looked into it in a different way. And so, so, so Iqbal says that really it's rather, it's, it's a zaviya haya, it's an angle of life. So it's a collection of moral and ethical teachings. So in that sense that really whatever time and space that you live in, you know, a thousand years from, you know, the Rasulullah or companions, if you have those core teachings, they can apply, you can make really a capitalist society, a socialist society, or what we're just defining really trying to understand secularism. You can Islamize it with those ideas, right? So like everything in secularism is not bad and stuff like that. So what I'm saying is that when you try to hardcore things like Brother uh, Malaha just mentioned, you know, you know, the concept of Islamic State. So when the Islamic State comes in, we only look at Khalifa. So why can't the Khalifa be really a president or, you know, uh, a southern of, of a country? Why the Caliphate can be like EU, a European Union, where all the, the Muslims states are really, you know, uh, together and really just pick a leader. So we have to really, you know, look into uh, a new ways, but having that principle that Islam is really, you know, moral ethical teachings with the, with the angle of life, zaviya hayat versus code of life. Because in code of life, then you really define everything. As a matter of fact, for example, I'll give you an example. Making a masjid with uh, mud and really, you know, the palm trees or, you know, the, the wood, you know, the, the using the wood, you know, from the trees, you know, as a roof and having sand really for the floor, you know, is it, is it a masjid or is it really sunnah or was it really the material that was available at that time to, to use, right? Uh, but the essence was really a place where people can get together and really have a direction, you know, have an imam, you know, people can really lead and pray. So many things evolved later on like that. So similarly, the concept of, for example, uh, Amruhum Shura Bainahum, 
and that primitive society, this was the way of really democracy. And this is the way of elections that you, because this is how it was, right? You have this tribal leader, you know, the people are behind it. You, you, you solicit their opinion and they pick one and this is how the selection was done. That's the same reason that Rasulullah never clearly pointed somebody that this is going to really inherit me and whatnot because, you know. So what I'm saying is that there's a problem or maybe I'm, my understanding is really evolved or wrong. That when we, when we say Islam is a code of life, we want to really lock it down to a time and space. And then that's why it becomes difficult to really detach from it. And, you know, halal, haram, and, you know, the, 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 the ulama really becomes all of a sudden so uh, furious. And, you know, all these things really starts, right? But if we say rather uh, a, a zawiya here, you know, zawiya is like an angle, you know, uh, teachings that can be applied in regardless of any time, space. You're living on moon, you're living on Mars you're living in any society, you know, there's Islam that you can practice and you can really, you know, Islamize that, that area. I'm sorry for really being along the lecture here, but the, so in that sense, really, I mean, what do you think? I mean, this question, when you look at the secularism and those sort of things, I mean, the, uh, they, they will not be like a foreign concept to us. Okay. So, so first and foremost, all of you should feel free to, to speak and share. And so, so don't worry about the... the I'm taking my question back. <laughs> don't worry about your don't worry about the length of the question sometimes we need that amount of time to be able to process the question okay so the first part of your question uh i'm going to address with with the hadith that wisdom is the lost property of the believer and then wherever you find it you claim it and so yep. this is a, a major part of the whole study of anything that you find in, in the world. That we don't get hidayah, we don't get guidance except for anything from the prophet, meaning only the hidayah comes through the prophet, peace be upon him, which includes the Quran. But wisdom, hikmah, anywhere we can find it, we take it, right? And so even, even this discussion here is, is, is all literally just looking for hikmah. Is it going to make me a better Muslim? Maybe, maybe not, but it will give me some insights on life. And, and this is the whole history of, of Islamic thought and Islamic scholarship. At the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, even when Salman al-Farisi comes along and says, here's what we did in battle you know, with my people and such, is that Hidayah? No, not necessarily. Is it a battle strategy? Sure. Go to China to get knowledge. Hadith is authentic or not. The principle is still the same. So, so there we can go everywhere and see, you know, what benefit that can we have in terms of wisdom. And so whether it's coming from this thing called modernity, whether it's coming from the Greeks, whether it's coming from the Indians, what have you. So that's, as long as we keep it clear, that's not Hidayah, that's Hikmah. That's not guidance, it is wisdom. Wisdom we can get from everywhere. You know, what's the best source of wisdom is from the elders. You know, all of us now who have martial gray here, and so, so then, so, so from that point, it is it potentially beneficial to read anything and everything, okay. as long as you still are grounded in, in the prophet, peace be upon him, okay. and preferably, I mean, there's other concerns too. So that, I think, answers one of your overall themes, you know, in, in the point that you're making. Now, regarding what is Islam... 
code of life, uh, angle of life. So, so built into what you're saying is that for a lot of people, when we're speaking of Islam as a code of life or a way of life, uh, we're usually speaking about the Sharia. And, and when we look at the history of the implementation of the Sharia, we have it at the, de- at the generation of the Prophet, may peace be upon him, obviously. Okay. We have it among the Sahaba. And what is Sunni Islam? Sunni Islam is not just the Prophet, peace be upon him. It's the Prophet and the Sahaba, right? So, so then we're also looking at what happened in those 30 years after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And we're also looking at what do other later Sahaba say, although there isn't as much uh, information. And so, but then Sharia, or I should say fiqh, the understanding of Sharia. So you all understand the difference between fiqh and Sharia, right? Here, actually, let me explain this. Because a lot of people... Question, sorry, sorry, when when you say Sunni Islam, it's Prophet and Sahaba, it's all Sahaba? all Sahaba at different levels, yes. Meaning, meaning uh, uh, Hind and Abu Sufyan would not be given the same status as Abu Bakr. Right? But it is the whole collection of the Sahaba. Thus we say, Ahla Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Does that make sense? Uh, Iqbal? No, it's still. Okay, can you elaborate more? So, okay. so if if there is a, if we say Sahaba, how how we know how we pick and choose then? Okay, so here, uh, so, so let's do that first. Okay, so we'll say the sex. So when when your family members ask you what did you cover in Muzaffar's class, say we talked about sex. Okay, some of you have gotten the <laughs> joke. Some of you didn't get the joke. Okay. <laughs> You can take all of the people who call themselves Muslim into four categories. I'm not saying that they're all Muslim. I'm saying all these people who call themselves Muslim in four categories. So, of course, we have, I'm doing Shia first. So, um, uh, we have Sunni. What's uh, the third big historical group? Anybody know? Ibadi. Ibadi. And then I'm going to give it just a, a complicated term. Uh, well, actually, for our purposes, let's just call it other. These are the people that don't fit in the first three. Okay. So, full name of Sunni is, as you all know, uh-huh. Names of the Shias. Or and Ibadi is just Ibadi. So, what is Sunni Islam? It is the Prophet in the Quran. And the reason I'm putting the prophet first is not uh, is because the Quran is coming through him. Right? Allah is giving us the Quran from giving it to the prophet, peace be upon him. 
let's Lisa Haba. Because everything we know about the Prophet, peace be upon him, is coming from the Sahaba. Even that's a category of Hadith, if we have a Hadith that the Sahaba's name is not mentioned. And then we have, so this is the foundation, then we have the legacy of scholars interpreting it. And the Ummah. This is Sunni Islam. And so, so the point here is that the Sahaba are included in defining what is Sunnah. Because number one, they're the ones who are telling us what it, the Prophet, peace be upon him, did. And then from there, we are classifying the Sahaba at different levels related to how close they are to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so the closest are those four, and then you can extend it to 10, and then there's a probably give or take about 300 that are super close to the Prophet, peace be upon him, out of 150,000. So most of our knowledge of the Prophet, peace be upon him, comes from about 300 Sahaba. And then most of that comes from a smaller amount. Who are the Ibadis again? We'll get to that in a second, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, so, any questions about about who the Sunnis are? So, Omar, just to bring it back to uh, at the conscious level, yeah, we talk about Islam. Islam technically is with the Prophet He's the one who could have defined Islam. After him, the, uh, what we consider Islam is, for most part, interpretive process, interpreted through the Sahaba and. Um, and then the ulama and so forth, especially that's, uh, that's what uh, the Sunni Islam is. Uh, uh, are you asking or, or are you suggesting? Both. And uh, at the same time, uh, there is no Islamic state uh, in the history apart from uh, during the lifetime of the Rasul because he was in a position to define. And because of that uh, position or authority of definition was extended to the Khulfai Rashidin, technically, uh, the Islamic State stopped after that, mm -hmm. after okay. the process of uh, attempting at interpretation of uh, what uh, Rasul Sallallahu and the four Khulfai Rashidin did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, were you sharing more? Or, or, or... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so regarding the first part, uh, it is very hard to separate the Prophet, peace be upon him, from the Sahaba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because if we're only speaking of the Prophet, peace be upon him, without the Sahaba, then that means half the Hadith are gone at least because they're coming from the Sahaba asking questions to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? You know, do we have to do this? Do we have to do that? Right, and and so we can't take the Prophet, peace be upon him, in a vacuum. Because so, even even the the so many of the ayahs as the Quran, are responding to Sahaba. Surah Al-Mujadila, you know, the one who argued. This is the woman who is, who's, who's raising mm -hmm. the complaint. And so I'd say, yes, it is coming officially through the Prophet, peace be upon him. Oh, From Allah to Jibreel to the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's officially um, becomes the answers. But a lot of that is, is coming... You know, in terms of our understanding, 
in some cases to specific circumstances, right? So Abu Lahab, if Abu Lahab was not there, would we have a surah um, about Abu Lahab, right? Mm -hmm. And so the key point I'm making is, yeah, officially, it's whatever is coming from the Prophet, peace be upon him, that is Islam. But it doesn't exist outside of a vacuum. So I have a question. Uh, let me, let me, let me, uh, uh, is it related to this or? Yeah, it's related uh, to the Sahaba. Go ahead. So, so, if, uh, so you are saying that the Iman on Sahaba is part of uh, Iman? Sunni Islam, yeah. It's part of the creed? Part of Sunni Islam. Part of the creed, second, uh, more like at a third level. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. That's, that's the, that's the core creed, right? And then the, the Sahaba are not mentioned. Amantu billahi wa malaikati wa kutubhi wa rusuli, so far and so on. So, so that that include if if so what about if the the Sahabas or some of the Sahabas um, if make any error in their judgment? Okay. Are those are part of the discussion or they are not allowed to be part of the discussion? They're absolutely part of the discussion, and part of the principle is that the Sahaba are also going to challenge each other. They're going to correct each other. So if Abu Bakr is the Khalifa. Sahaba who disagree are going to express their disagreement. That's part of the, the deliberation. If Omar is doing something and Sahaba are disagreeing, that's part of the deliberation. Now, most of those issues are very, very small issues. But what are some of the big ones of, of Omar? You know, one is, is that he puts a stop on cutting off people's hands. Now, regardless of whatever the modern interpretation of that would be, that's a different issue. But the point is that the Quran is saying for a thief cut off their hand and Omar puts a stop to it. And, and, and then the argument he makes is we are supposed to provide you. You're not supposed to steal. We're supposed to provide you with, with the, the, the rations. And if we're not, we can't justify punishing you. So what is understood now, there's a context to when to implement these big hudud laws and such. So, so that would be included. Omar, um, a lot of people are jumping in at the same time. Uh, uh, Dr. Kazi, and then I think so, I think Paul was speaking. Yeah, Dr. Kazi. Just one note of caution: Can you come up with another term apart from Iman for the Sahaba? Because it, it can, it has the potential to open up a Pandora's box in terms of sectarian rifts and so forth. Yeah, I mean, but that's literally that's literally the fundamental difference between Sunni and Shia. Yeah. Uh huh. But can you do, can we use the word the term iman like literally in its uh, with all its uh, implications? Uh, not with all its implications. Iman in fiqh has a different meaning than iman in in aqidah, and and so no, you're not you're not going to find a term um, that's going to work in every single implication. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, can yeah, I ahead, ask please. one question? Please. Hello. Can you hear me, sir? Yes, 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 brother brother uh, yeah. Safi. Look, my, my, my question is about the secularism. I mean, when when we define secularism as the the minimum interference of the government in the affairs of the people. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, we can can we say that because what when I dig and some modern scholar also mentioned that that Islam is is very close to secularism, or we can say secularism has the values which Islam has, 
that in Islam, real Islam is very, very less interference in the affairs of the people. Mm-hmm. In that sense, can we define it like that way? So that point will be that point when we come right back to the uh, the book. We'll be addressing that immediately, inshallah. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, hold on to your question for just a moment, because that is a question about public space. Okay. So, uh, any questions about what is Sunni Islam? Yes. So, yeah. so, so when we are discussing about the uh, you know the, the the more controversial issues about the Sahaba, such as that um, the Amir Mawiyas and then selection of the Yazid, and all, so far, uh, there is there is there is going to be a two different within the Sunni Islam, as you said, the Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah there's going to be a multiple thought process comes. One is a very extreme that said, do not even talk about those conflicts or the controversial issues about the Sahaba. And the other one, uh, which is more like a little bit liberal and modern Islam, they said, no, that's every issue is on the table to be talk about it. So what is the balanced approach? How yeah, to- okay, so, so historically, every issue is on the table. But when colonialism began, and, and the Muslims did not have a response to colonialism. A lot of the curricula, the school curricula, madrasa curricula, or what the ulama were teaching started to get more and more restricted because the issue was we have to do whatever it takes to save the iman of the people. Hmm. And so a lot of issues were no longer on the table. Now, part of the reason a lot of these issues are on the table again is actually just because of printing and the internet. So I've learned this fact, I've learned that fact. That's part, so that's one issue. But we all have to have respect for the Sahaba. So imagine you're talking about your grandfather. It has to be assumed that you have love and respect for your grandfather. If you have that, then when you're critiquing your grandfather, it's a different issue. Or, but if you're saying, okay, my grandfather doesn't know anything, look at what he did, look at what he did, that did, you know, or if I'm just going to make an academic exercise, then it's a waste of time. And so back to the other point, uh, Muawiyah, no one gives Muawiyah the status. He is a Sahaba, right? But he does not have the status of Abu Bakr. Muawiyah became Muslim in the last six months. Abu Bakr became Muslim the first six months. And so the Sahaba do have different status in terms of the deliberation of understanding the sunnah. Make sense? I have, I have a question. So the, uh, I, I think the, the question really I started was from the, the angle versus really the code of life. But yeah, we'll get we're still back coming there. back to that. We're still coming yeah. back, don't worry. Yeah. So here, I mean, you brought two important uh, things here really that needs some clarification, right? Yeah. The, the, the the concept that you know the uh, of course you know we can't imagine Islam without the, the Sahaba their status there Muhammad Rasulullah Wallazina Ma'ahu Ashidda Wal Kuffar so really there's that's the bracket right Muhammad Rasulullah Wallazina Ma'ahu you know fulfill Quran so nobody in the right mind can you know there's no doubt about it uh, the utmost respect when we address their names uh, but that doesn't mean that the the uh, uh, a discussion cannot occur at an intellectual discourse, you know. Of course, you know, keeping all these respects and you know, designation things like that in mind. But the one of this concept that really 
at least for me, I came to know, you know, just the uh, the other day that the there's two concepts, right? The ma'asum versus mahfuz. Okay. So ma'asum for those who are really the the youngsters over here means that the somebody who is who cannot make mistake, like the the messengers are ma'asum, right? Um, the uh, or they cannot commit gana. They may have little shortcomings, short mistakes, but really Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrects them. But they don't really make any intentional guna or, you know, ism, they don't get into that. The, the, the mahfuz, the Islamic uh, Sunni yeah, Islam is that the, you are protected from the fire. Meaning that, you know, whatever you did, you did wrong. So what I'm saying is that under this mahfuz cover, then really, you know, even Yazid and others, um, you know, the, the people who were really at the Jamal, you know, Ali, fighting Aisha, you know, all these, you know, in between fighting and things and stuff like that. Um, so there's, I mean, the group among people, especially the, uh, the Dioban, for example, I mean, they took it to another level, right? The, uh, and then we have Sipa Sahaba and many other organizations where, even the intellectual discourse of discussion cannot really happen where uh, those things are crucial to really understand the history. Because if you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know where you're going or where you are. So, the, so this concept of mahfuziyat, that goes clearly against the interpretation, the teachings of the Rasulullah and the clear teachings of the Quran itself, right? Because Rasulullah will ask, Ya, ya Fatima bint Muhammad, you know, save yourself. Salni ma shaiti. You know, uh, ask me whatever you want, I'll give you. But I may not be able to help you on the day of judgment, right? You know, oh, Safiya, Amatu Muhammad. You know, the, you know all these things that Islam puts everything. The Quran puts everything in the same bucket, saying that well, you know, whosoever is going to do this, man katala Musliman mutaamidan. You know, for life you have hellfire. And on the other side, then we came up with this idea of, you know, mahfuz. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they are the same. Because if we say that, you know, they're from them, they're, uh, I mean, among companions, we know that, you know, there was Munafikin, there were uh, technical Sahabi, somebody who really saw Prophet Muhammad and really, you know, had uh, uh, became Muslim and died on, as, uh, died as a Muslim, right? As a Sahabi. But how can you compare Ali with somebody who accepted Islam, for example, after Fatah Makkah? You know, when it became normal, when to become Muslim and stuff like that. So this thing is really uh, bothering me a lot. You know, in my head, really, I want to put my head around of this concept that, you know, the, the Shia's concept of Masum and we have Mafuz. So in other words, really, I mean, the, 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 uh, so what do we really put Quran on the side here that really the Quran doesn't apply? You know, the, so this is a dilemma, you know, other aspect that we have. So okay. do you understand, you know, the, the, how do you see that Masum versus the Mafuz thing? Okay, so what I'm going to do is say a couple things. Number one, we'll have to have a whole separate class to understand the Sahaba. But um, uh, number two, if we throw out the terminology, then based on what we have on the screen here, okay, the collective body of the Sahaba are looked at as being loyal to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay? And then as mentioned, just like your last point, that uh, the different Sahaba will have different status. Okay. And so just like uh, who can have the status of Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, Ali, someone who came in um, in the last six months, those are two different people. Those are two different generations. Okay. 
for what purpose? For understanding the Prophet, peace be upon him. For understanding the Sunnah. Nevertheless, because they were in the company of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we do give them a a higher status compared to the rest of humanity. Right? Uh, But uh, beyond that, everything else you said will have to pay for a whole complete different class, inshallah. Okay, inshallah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so very briefly, hello. Very briefly, can I ask one thing? Very briefly, please. Yeah. Yeah. Just only one thing. If you just briefly answer, it was very important, yeah. especially in our in our Pakistan, India, and other scholars. I don't know about other scholars, and we always discuss. And sometimes they very. I mean, the very briefly I will ask about the Sahaba. If we just according to our um, whatever the documents or what the history we got, according to that, if we analyze that one Sahabi did some administrative mistake, not the sin, is it wrong? Is it insult to that Sahaba? Or we can discuss it. Just for one example, for example, Hazrat Usman, we say, a lot of people say, that not definitely with good intention, but he favored his own relatives to become the governors. Or Amir Mahavia people said, why he made his son the next uh, crown prince. So it, we can say it is an administrative mistake. We are not saying it's a sin. So when mentioning the administrative mistakes of Sahaba, is it the insult to the Sahaba? Okay, so I'll answer your question two ways, and then we'll get to the rest of the, the, the screen. And if there's any other questions about Sahaba, we'll have to figure out a different way to, to address these things. So, so number one, uh, the, the second part of my answer would be, uh, it is not wrong to provide a critique as long as you are respecting them as Sahaba, right? If your goal is to learn from it, which leads to the first part of my question, which is that going through the history, if I'm determining something is a mistake or not, what is that giving me? If it's not giving me anything practical, then it's probably a waste of time. Sure, sure. But for example, administrative mistakes definitely give some benefit. For example, we can say, oh, we should follow Hazrat Omar, who didn't do anything like that. And we should not follow those one on in that in this regard. Yeah, on that uh, I would I would respectfully yeah. disagree because, for example, the part we never mention about Uthman and the governors being Banu Umayyah is that Uthman's response when he received this criticism was that most of these governors who are Banu Umayyah were import were were assigned by Omar. Right, that's a part of the story that we often leave out. But sir, one, one thing, one, one thing um, different. Omar never put the any governor more than four years. Uh, that's uh, that's not a, a very very uh, accurate point. No. Okay, we heard like that. We yeah. read like that that he never put the more than four years any governor. So this is also yeah, the good administrative I, point. I, uh, I don't think that's even necessarily a good administrative point or a bad administrative point. We're speaking about okay, no, moment. Okay, this is your I mean idea. I agree with that. I respect that. But for example, if I didn't agree, I said no. This is the good administrative point. By saying so, ask, is it insult to the Sahaba? Is it insult? Yes or no? I need answer. Is it insult to the Sahaba? As long, when I'm saying like this, as long as you are respecting the Sahaba, okay, perfect. Yes, yeah, sure. Respecting, as yes. the best of generation, okay. and then within that context, you're saying, I don't understand why this choice was made. This doesn't make as much sense to me, or this makes more sense to me than Inshallah Khair. right? Inshallah. I'm cautious against calling something a mistake. It's better to say, okay. I don't see the wisdom of this. This doesn't make as much sense as this choice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yes, thank you for that. 
excuse me for one. Okay, okay, okay. No more, no more, no more. We'll okay. come back to we'll come back to this later on, inshallah. Okay. No, no, just just look like I opened the Pandora's box already. No, no. Yeah, actually, I mean, I mean we, we the the bigger question is we still have to answer Khalid's uh, overall question. Go for it, Dr. Kazi. Yeah, what do you got? I mean, in defense of Sayyidna Usman, uh, we uh, we become very uncharitable to him in in the sense that he was working with the man uh, the human resources that was available to him. And at the point, the, the human resource that it was, was available to him was happened to be Banu Umayyah. Banu uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was not... Okay, so, so you're, you're just giving me more analysis. That, that's well and good. We can save it for a different time, inshallah. Okay. Because we can say the same thing about Ali, and then we can say the same thing about Muawiyah then, right? And so, so we'll come back to all this, inshallah. And it looks like Allah is taking this moment to, to get fit, so that's good too. In any case... So, so to understand the difference between Sunni and Shia is how do you understand the Prophet, peace be upon him? Sunni saying we are looking at the, 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 the Sahaba and the Shias are saying we are looking at the Imams and you're all familiar with the Imams and such. Uh, and the Ibadis, to answer Musab's question, they're sort of like the Khawarij, except modern day Khawarij. I have a yes, so, question. So Musab, back to your question you had asked earlier about the Khawarij. Or the Ibadi. Oh, I have a, another question regarding the Shia. Do they believe in Imam Iman and Mufassal and Iman and Mujamil, like the angels, the previous prophets? Okay, so that we'll we'll probably have to have a whole just a whole whole class just about about sectarianism. Okay, because we're we're talking about the reason why I'm entertaining all this is to get us into some of the nitty gritty about about secularism and such. So. So save all of your questions, write down all of your questions, all of you. If you're not able to write down your questions, then they weren't questions in the first place. It was enough. Anyway, 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 Malahat, I'll continue. Okay, so Ibadis. It's not great uh, to, to just, you know, seize you. Again? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm saying it's not a pre-plan to seize you like that. that no, no, I don't mind that. But <laughs> if we're just asking out of Hawa, then you're not benefiting yourself. Good. You know, so if you're able to write out your question, then you can all of you can say that it's a real question. Okay. Uh, this is this is Mosin. Can I can I insert maybe one question? All right, let's let's just have at it. Go for it. Last fourteen minutes. Yeah, so, what do you got? So so, so yeah. So uh, and, and kind of to take back to, to what what you said about you know we learned uh, about the prophet from uh, from from the Sahaba and mm -hmm. uh, and of the, I think that gets into the Sunnah as well. So what is the the mode of that? At learning or how do we learn about from the Sahaba even, right? Are we talking strictly the mm. sort of the, the what, what is that body okay. of knowledge, right? How okay, this is, this is actually a really good question, mashallah. So the legacy of, of, of the Ummah is the transmission of Sunnah. Meaning, how did all of you learn how to pray? Probably not from a scholar. Probably from your family members. Or some other teacher. How did you learn how to recite Quran? Probably not from a scholar. Maybe, maybe from a qadi. I'm sure from the parents, mostly from the parents or from yeah. the and family. So, from the family yeah. so the ummah is the living container and transmitter of the sunnah. So why do we do Eid the way we do? It's just been handed down. And, and so the acts of worship, why do we do fasting the way we do? We can say you have this ayah and that ayah, but we often say, okay, the Quran doesn't tell you how to pray, but neither does the hadith. The hadith does not tell you how to pray. If you want to see how to pray from the hadith, you have to put together about 250 hadith narrations. 
There's not one hadith that says how to pray. How did you learn how to pray? You learn from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone. Going back to the Prophet, peace be upon him, who is recorded in the hadith for saying, pray as you see me pray. So the sunnah is handed down. Okay. And then what is the legacy of the scholars? It's all these particular questions a small percentage of which are relevant to people's lives. Yeah. Meaning, I have a question, can I do this specific thing? I go to this faqih, can you give me an answer? Yeah. Because in my understanding, I'm not supposed to. The actual purpose of the faqih is to figure out, can I figure out a way to allow you to do this? that this thing that seems like we're not supposed to, is there a way with integrity for me to figure out a way for you to do this? But that's just the jurist. That is not the muhaddith. The muhaddith is just looking at, okay, what can we authenticate in terms of the hadith narrations? Then you got the mutakallim, different scholar, so forth and so on. So, so we're saying, where do you get your knowledge from? It's in terms of the knowledge you need, it's basically it's handed down. And then you can do study and such, but it's recommended to do study under guidance. Otherwise, you're probably just going to go in all kinds of different directions. Yeah. Okay, so now uh, let, me, let me start bringing this back. So then prior to getting back to Khaled's question, Dr. Kazi raised the question that the only Islamic state or polity was the, was the prophet and or the prophet, peace be upon him, and, and the Sahaba for the next 30 years. This is a big question that really comes down to who do we turn to to define these things. So one understanding is that the only Islamic polity is the Prophet, peace be upon him, and in and, and the 30 years after the, the, the Prophet. Another definition people give is, is the Ummah from the Prophet, peace be upon him, up through the Abbasids. Another definition people give is going all the way through the Ottomans. And so that more comes down to who's interpreting and deciding how do we interpret what is a legitimate Islamic government. So you'll find many, many people throughout history giving many different answers to that question. And so there's no single answer to, to that question of what was and what is historically a legitimate uh, Islamic government. But now back to Khaled's point, Khaled's question about Islam uh, being uh, Zawiyah versus, versus the code and such. And so here, in terms of Ahl al Jama'ah, the practice of Islam is imagine, so, you know, we always like to do things in buildings. Imagine at the bottom of the building, you have your basic aqidah. Yeah. Which is, if I believe the shahada, here's other things that I need to believe. Yeah. And then upon that, we have the sharia. Yeah. And then most of Islam is actually what? It's your relationships. This is the part we don't recognize that is right in front of us, is most of your practice of Islam is not halal and haram. How many times in a day does that actually come up for you? Most of your practice of Islam is how do you conduct yourself with people? So the Prophet said, peace be upon him, I did not come except to perfect character. And most of your practice of Islam, not your imagination of Islam, most of your practice of Islam is, the, is how do you conduct your relationships with all the people you meet? 
Muslim, whether we, they are family, whether they are strangers, whether they are Muslims, whether they are non-Muslims, that's literally where you will find in a 24-hour period the vast majority of your Islam. And take some time to think about it because that's, uh, uh, that's uh, uh, a big thing. So then how do we connect this with, with the question of way of life versus code of life? So this would be where we'd find the code. And more often than not, this is actually, you know, most of the world is mubah, and if I, meaning permitted. And if I'm telling you you can't do it, the burden of proof is on you. You have to give me your arguments. But ask yourself, from the moment you woke up until the moment you go to sleep, how many of the things do you do where your actual concern is, okay, is this, is this uh, Islamically okay or not? Yeah. It's actually a small thing. Maybe it's in the back of your head, maybe. But the actual issue is, okay, how do you interact with your child? How do you interact with your spouse? How do you interact with your parents? So forth and so on. That's where your Islam is located. Because we always talk on the day of judgment of, of you know, I'm going to be held to account for all the different ways, you know, going through my whole life. There's different parts of the day of judgment. One is my accountability to Allah Ta'ala directly. Another is my accountability to each other, right? If I did you wrong, I have to pay you back with some of my hasanat. If I have no more hasanat, then some of your sayyat will be taken away. This is where you find most of, of, of your practice of Islam. And, Umar, yeah. sorry, sorry. This is a really very related question. Uh, the Sharia and then, you know, this bracket that shows really the code. Uh, one of the things is that the Sharia, in one sense, when we say that in the in Islam, in, uh, in, in, in the Islam, the, the religion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Islam, right? The other, no other religion will be really accepted. So that is actually the, you know, some of those aspects of Sharia. There's one God and angels and, you know, the, the Imam of Fasr. That would technically be in Iqidah, but keep going, yeah. Right? So what I'm saying is that the, uh, uh, so Sharia is it the Islamic jurisprudence, right? The the so that's fake you're yeah. talking about, yeah, right? And the fake evolves. I mean, fake has time and space elements. Fake changes, you know, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. So again, it's more agile than really you know something fixed. So, uh, but Akida, I would really say rather Akida really replaces Akida with the word Iman because Akida then again connects you to people. Because they, this is how they they interpret their way of understanding Islam or Iman. So I always have this really the, the thing here that I, I Akida usually associates with the people with the Akida Tahawiya or some other Akida, but really the the term Iman is really the, the the Quranic term that we should use, right? So so the answer is either or, right? We can say because it's a Quranic term. But then that contradicts your point earlier in the class of, of studying other, other, other uh, you know, learning from modernity and secularism and such. Meaning, why do we use the term Aqidah? Because just like the term Iman, if I use the term Iman as what the list of things that I'm supposed to believe, then the term Iman has a different meaning in Sharia. Because then it's, do I believe it or not? Because in Sharia, Iman and Islam are the same thing. And then if I'm speaking of Tazkiyah, Iman has a third different meaning, right? And so the reason we're using Aqidah is to minimize the confusion. Your point in principle is fine, right? 
Uh, but See. the point is that this this uh, helps keep the distinction. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And so so then what are we saying is that <clears throat> this is where the heart of your Islamic practice is located. Aqidah, you have to get that straight. If you don't get that straight, then anything above it is not going to matter. Sharia is basically what? Get the haram out of your life. But most of your Islamic practice is how do you conduct yourself with people? You know, in small interactions, large interactions. Now, what does that, does that mean that we don't care about the political structure and all that? No, all of that is also part of it too, because some of that we have obligations to Allah. You know? uh, but the core is there. Now, uh, let me come back to the, the screen because we have a few minutes left. In action. One quick question. This is the top-down approach or bottom-up approach? Okay, uh, what difference does it make? We, I explained both possibilities. So we first need to make sure our aqidah is right, then go to the sharia and then relationship in our yeah. sequence of... Uh, well, if uh, uh, I'm guessing for most of us, uh, most of us, were, if not all of us, were raised Muslim. Uh, I don't think uh, my parents ever had a conversation with me saying, okay, this is what your aqidah is. But my parents have had 100,000 conversations with me about how you're supposed to treat people. At some point, you do have to make sure your aqidah is not incorrect, right? Because there might be other things that we're, we're putting in there. But the point is that what are you teaching your children? You're teaching your children how to conduct themselves in terms of relationships. Most of the every, everything else you're learning through uh, uh, automatically, meaning I don't recall my parents ever saying, okay, don't eat pork, but I knew I wasn't supposed to eat pork. Growing up as the only Muslim in, in, my, in my area for a 15 mile radius, even outside of including my family. Okay, so now let me bring this back to the, um, uh, this last point, which was related to, I think, uh, I forgot, uh, uh, I think it was Brother Safi's question. So, another major element of, of secularism, and this is one of the biggest points. So, what, we, so what is the core to take away from for today? And this is part of the reason why it was okay to get somewhat off track, is we said secularism is a big focus on individuality. And secularism, the modern secular state, is the focus that everyone can own business, everyone can, trans, can, can exchange and buy and sell. But the bigger point is that the modern secular state is a business. Okay? The United States is a business, and the president is the CEO of the United States. Illinois is a business, and the head of the governor of Illinois is a CEO. The mayor of Chicago, Chicago is a business, and, and, and the CEO, the mayor is the CEO of Chicago. That is the structure of the world. Connected with every state is given a bank that ties into the whole system. And then the other major aspect of the nation state, of the modern nation state, is public sphere. And so part of it is that everyone in theory has the right, sorry, on these screens so y'all can see. Okay, y'all can see the, the screen, yes? 
yeah. the, the Kindle screen? Okay. So is, is the dominance of the public sphere. So whether we are talking about America, whether we're talking about Saudi Arabia, whether we're talking about Iran, whether we're talking about any other state, the nation state is trying to control public space. We can say it's also trying to control private space. That's a different issue that's related to technology, but it's trying to control public space. Okay. And in that way, it's actually very different than, than the Islamic outlook. Islamic outlook is saying what is in your house is private, what is in public space is under control. Okay. But the depth that the nation state is trying to control public space is every single tiny detail. And a way to think about this is when you leave your house or even the, the building of your house, think of how many codes had to be followed for your house to be allowed to be built. And think about from the moment you leave your house and let's say you go to the store, how many different laws you're following. Yeah. And so the nation state is controlling public space and that way it's sort of like, uh, like an Islamic polity, but the nation state is trying to control every inch of it to the point that every plot of land is already, is already uh, uh, belonging to someone. And so, so part of secularism, what am I saying, is this idea of individuality. Part of it is the market, but I'm expanding that to include that every nation is a government, or is a business. And then part of it is domination of public space. Not just control, but domination of public space. Nevertheless, the ideal theory of secularism is before you couldn't speak. Here, you're allowed to speak and raise your complaint. And thus, we have the First Amendment. You're allowed to speak. Everyone is allowed to speak. That's the theory. And we could say under the Khilafah of Omar, he is saying to all the Muslims, all right, if you have any complaint, okay, then come to me. You can come to me directly. If you complaint about your governor, come to me directly. This is a small window of, 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 uh, of human history. So secularism, what is the point to take today? Secularism is tied directly to the nation state, and the nation state has a number of, of key points in terms of the theory as expressed by, by this person. All right, any questions about any of this? So I have a one comment. Yeah. Um, is this okay, Omar, that you know, the topics are incomplete here? Can we post it on the, the, the group we created for this class and you can able to answer that? So, um, I, so, so the basic point I'm asking about all your questions, everyone's questions are 100% fine. But if you're not able to write it down, then it's hawa rather than an actual question. That's, that's what I'm saying. Is so therefore, yeah, I like Mossab's suggestion that everyone write it down in, in the WhatsApp group. If I can get to it, I'll get to it, but I don't know if I'll be able to get to it, especially because now we're only about two weeks away from Ramadan and I have to do all kinds of preparation for those things. And uh, nevertheless, this is going to be an incomplete class. What I want all of you to get are some just key pinpoints of ideas. You're not going to finish this class thinking I'm a scholar of secularism. You're going to get some some points to think about things, which is also part of the reason why all your questions are welcome. Again, I'm still emphasizing all of your questions are welcome, okay? even if it seems like it's not related. And if it takes you three minutes to explain your question, that's perfectly fine too, inshallah. You know, uh, uh, Basir. 
before Khaled Basir had raised his hand. So my question is that, uh, what do you think about if you throw Islam into this nation state mix, which has this component of um, uh, controlling the public space, uh, will it not get the same blame that the nation, or, I mean, the secularism does? In what, is, what is the blame? I mean, um, uh, like, um, if not blame, but uh, will it not have to uh, uh, define laws for all the public space that mm -hmm. secularism does? Mm -hmm. uh, and first thing we bring in is uh, some mostly are the, the, some of the Sharia laws that we now going to be make public. Uh, maybe were, they were not at before. Okay, I mean, so there have been a number of attempts in the past 150 years to try to answer that question, right? The Saudi Arabia is one try attempt to answer that question. Iran is a different attempt to answer that question. Pakistan is a different attempt to answer that question, right? Somalia is five states of which I think two identify as, as official Islamic states. Uh, one of the sub-states of Indonesia officially identifies itself as an Islamic state, right? Part of Nigeria for a particular period of time did the same thing. And so the point is, that you, the answer to your question is yeah. And I'm saying when we look at the past 100 years, we see a number of attempts to try to figure out, you know, how do you do uh, an Islamic nation state? The Taliban tried to do their version as well, you know, and are all these wrong? Ask, you know, these people will say, yeah, they're all wrong. Another person will say, well, you know, I mean, they all sort of are, are fulfilling it, depends on who you ask. You know, just like I said, in defining what is uh, a Muslim government, I said, it depends on who you ask you'll get different answers. Everyone will agree that the prophet and uh, his, his, his period of time, uh, but even there will disagree. Is it from Medina to his death or is it Fatimakkah to his death or is it the Treaty of Hudaybiyah to his death? Those are three different answers. And so, so the overall answer to your question is, yeah, every, if, if you know, we were all to get together and try to make a modern Islamic state, uh, we might have you know, different versions, and it could be all of them are correct, it could be all of them are wrong, but if you ask different people throughout the world, you'll get different opinions. You know, you're not going to have a consistent opinion. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Khaled, and then you'll get, the, you'll get the final question, inshallah. Okay, so my final question is that the, um, the because we are really the overall, we're trying to understand the, the, the the secularism or the secular ideas. Yeah. So the uh, where does the, the the democracy comes into play? Mm -hmm. So the way I look at it is the because the most of the religion they claim to be um, at least the revealed one, right? The the, the the divine aspect of it, mm -hmm. meaning that really they believe that something is coming from God. So that's absolute truth. How can really that something that God's given is really be compromised, right? So they want to really that if they have the reign of power, they want to dictate and push, you know, whatever their concept of um, religion and, you know, how you treat others, like you, you mentioned earlier, the ma'amalat, right? The, the, the dealing with each other. So in that sense, really, it becomes a problem because if the Christianity comes, you know, the Pope comes and, you know, the, all the persecutions that we had, the Jews and the Christians and all that stuff, right? And the, I mean, the Muslims today we have in, in Myanmar and other places and things like that. So 
the, so isn't it that then really the, the modern day of uh, democracy really is part of like a tool uh, that is used really with, with, the, with the concept of secularism inseparable, right? Mm-hmm. So if secularism is really in the power, then really the, you want that, you know, a, a common set of uh, things that, you know, you go and you poll, you know, the, you know, the uh, what do you call it? how you define democracy, right? The, uh, to, to form the law and whatever, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay, so so we have to distinguish between um, democracy um, in terms of the operation of a democracy versus the theory of democracy. Okay, so the theory of democracy, if we're speaking of things like popular sovereignty, okay, from a theory a theoretical perspective, saying we're going to define the whole state from top to bottom, then we say that seems to be a, uh, a contradiction with Dean, right? That there's some aspects of Dean that you that are from a law. Right now, in terms of the logistics or the operations of the democracy that we have, you know, that is up in the air for 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 uh, whatever people might determine to be most effective. And so the point I'm making is that in the same way, in terms of Dean, there are some things that are off the table, not negotiable, okay, that perhaps we'd say the Quran is at the center. You're not going to use the word constitution for the Quran, but the Quran is at the center, Sunnah is at the center, right? And so what is the Pakistani attempt? The Pakistani attempt is that we're not going to make any laws that contradict this. Yeah. Uh, in the American government, there's something that's off the table too. The constitution cannot be, can be altered, but it can't be dropped, right? That's the sacred document. And so, so in a possible secularism, uh, you may still have things that are that are not on the table for discussion. And, and it could be in the next 50 years, America rewrites the whole constitution. Okay. Right now, however, that's off the table. That's not part of the discussion. You know, whether we follow the constitution or not is, is what people argue, how to fit something in the constitution, people argue, but to replace the constitution is not on the table. And so what I'm saying is that secularism may have its own sacred things as well. And even though they might not call it universal truth, but it's there. But the question then becomes, can I form a polity, a government uh, that fits into the modern system uh, that is wholly Islamic? The answer may be yes, the answer may be no. But we do have in the 20th century, we do have a number of examples of people who've tried. Uh, And so who knows, maybe the answer is no, you can't because you're gonna have to sign into the banking system. Or maybe the answer is going to be that uh, even if you wanted to try, um, there's too many forces preventing you. But theoretically, Maybe, maybe not. I don't have an answer. You know, can it, can it, can it work? But I mean, this is a question that among the earliest questions I used to ask Dr. Asrar about. And he said, in terms of his understanding of human evolution, the structure that the U.S. Constitution has is the most, uh, the highest level of evolution of government that, as far as he understood back then. I mean, what that was, I asked him back in 95, 96, 96. Uh, what was his opinion in the year 2010? Might have been a different opinion. But he literally said, this is the, this is the highest level of evolution 
of thought on how to operate a society as a structure. I'm talking about the logistics, not the bigger theory. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I heard him saying that personally, the uh, the closest thing that comes to the concept of Islamic Khilafah, things like that, is really the the way uh, the things are done in the United States. You know, the, the constitution and you know the selection and election and whatnot. Okay. Got it. Thank you. And and so yeah. So so we will will basically what are we getting through all of our discussions is I hope you're getting a couple points to reflect upon, um, uh, as opposed to. This is secularism because I can pick a completely different book on secularism and we see a very, very different understanding of secularism as well. And like I said, if you want to do your own further study, the one that the, the author that's the most respected, um, um, who says a lot of very interesting things is Charles Taylor. He has a big book called The Secular Age, which is a really, really uh, a profound book. And maybe at a different session, a different time, we can go through some sections from that book and so on. Okay. Uh, if anyone has, yeah, no, sure. no question. But uh, can you and Dr. Kazi stay on the line for five minutes? Um, sure, inshallah, I can, and hopefully Dr. Kazi can as well. Alrighty. So, so once again, uh, I want to re-emphasize for all of you: all of your questions are welcome, no matter how long it takes to ask them, no matter how many questions you want to ask. But I do urge, if you can't write down the question, then the chances are the question is coming from Hawa, as opposed to really looking for for for, for an answer. But still. <laughs> All questions, comments are are, are are welcome. And so that will end with to us. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma. Glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika, praising gratitudes to you. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka. We seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk and we turn to you. Okay, may Allah reward you all, inshallah. And we will meet uh, next week. And then after that will be our last class, uh, inshallah, before Ramadan. We can decide what we want to do in Ramadan, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.